Hello, podcasters. Welcome back to Mr. Stroud's History Class. We're going to begin again with a couple of shout-outs. The first one goes to Rebecca Proffer. Rebecca goes by Becky, and I got to know her when she took my 1302 history at Kilgore College. It was not long until I realized that she was a brilliant individual, an exceptional student, and a history major to boot. Sometimes she would drop by the office and we would discuss different topics, books, and authors. After Kilgore College, she went to the University of Texas at Tyler, finished her undergraduate degree in history, and began teaching. Not long after that, she was accepted in the Masters of Fine Arts program at Texas State University creative writing. While doing that, she's still teaching 7th and 8th grade AP English at Lamar Middle School and Fine Arts Academy. I was thinking about these shout-outs earlier today and realized that if you don't know these individuals, which most of you don't, it's very difficult, impossible, for me to get across to you what wonderful people they are. And I cannot tell you how thrilled I am that Becky is a podcaster and at one time was one of my students. She's a fantastic individual and she is going to be one great writer. She is already a great teacher. Thank you, Becky, for being a podcaster in Mr. Stroud's history class. The other shout-out goes to someone that was not in my history class. He's not even from Texas. I don't really know him. The reason I'm giving him a shout-out is because he sent me a message. And the message was, My wife and I listen to your podcast nightly over and over again and absolutely love them. This is Todd Warren and his wife, Audrey, in the great state of Washington. Todd, I cannot tell you how thrilled I was to get that message. When my daughter discussed having a podcast with me doing this, I didn't even know what a podcast was. I hope that maybe a few former students might listen. And when I get messages like that from podcasters that don't know me, have no reason to listen, it thrills me and it motivates me. Every single podcaster, I want you to know right now how much I appreciate you. I've said this before and I will probably say it again. When I was teaching, They would say, well, it's college. You don't really have to go to class. No, you don't have to unless you'd like to pass. But when you're listening to a podcast, you're just listening, hopefully for the enjoyment, hopefully to learn, and you keep coming back. Only know a few podcasters, and they deserve a shout-out, as do all of you who I don't even know A shout-out to you all. I truly appreciate it. Now, any time I got through teaching, 
in the classroom, I would go to the office, could not help but think about what I'd done in the class. And many times I would say to myself, how did I forget to say this? Why did I not emphasize that? Very quickly, when Lincoln finished his Gettysburg Address, Edward Everett walked up to him, shook his hand, and said, You said more in two minutes than I said in two hours. Podcasters, if you've not listened to the podcast on the Gettysburg Address, please do. If you've listened to it, listen to it again. But I want to add just a little bit. When he said four score and seven years ago, 1776, Declaration of Independence, he is doing this to redirect the federal government back to the principles that all men are created equal. How are they created equal? When I was teaching my eighth grade scholars, an English teacher overheard me telling them that. And in the break room during the 30-minute lunch, she said, That was the most ridiculous thing anyone had ever said. Some people are smarter than others. Some are stronger. Some are faster. How in the world could anybody say that every man was created equal? Well, you know. I know you know. She missed the point. Jefferson was not saying we are all equal in physical ability mental ability. How are we all equal? We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights. An unalienable right cannot be taken away. Now he doesn't say, I'm going to list every one of them. And so what you can do is you can sit down and you can brainstorm with someone else what these unalienable rights are. But he did give a hint Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Podcasters. A slave can have life, but he cannot have liberty. And without liberty, pursuit of happiness is impossible. And what Lincoln was doing was he was reminding the Northerners that this is what our government was founded on. These are the principles that we'd gotten away from. Had he wanted his listeners and those who would read his words think of the Constitution, he would have had something different. The Constitution as it was written at the time Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address, there was nothing about liberty and equality. And so Lincoln is trying to redirect the federal government to the principles of the Declaration of Independence. He's also telling why this war has to be fought because governments like that are not guaranteed. As Mr. Everett said, you said more in two minutes than I said in two hours. What a tremendous speech. Lincoln goes back to Washington. Everett Everett goes back to Harvard. The thousands of spectators leave and go back home. And they now go back to reburying the Union dead.
the gentleman that's in charge of doing that is a man by the name of Samuel Weaver. They had bids for the contract to rebury the Union dead in the soldier's cemetery. He's going to get paid. And the amount of money that he is going to be paid is $1.59 per body. He will supply pine coffins. They will be moved to the soldier's cemetery. They will be identified as much as possible. They would be buried in neat rows by states, Massachusetts, New York, Pennsylvania. The way you identify what state the deceased soldiers from, belt buckles, which they called waist plates. The belt, I think I mentioned before in another podcast, was not used to hold the trousers up. That's what suspenders were for. It was hold the cartridge belt, the cartridge box, the bayonet, as much as possible. Confederate dead were reburied, and they would later be moved to three cemeteries in the South, Hollywood Cemetery in Richmond, a cemetery in Charleston, and one in Savannah. Now, I like to do this when possible, and the $1.59, he got free blacks subcontracted, and he moved a total of 3,354 Union soldiers. He was paid $1.59 a body. I got my calculator out, and he would have gotten $4,770. Podcasters, listen to this. I found a way to calculate and determine what that would be in today's money. And that amount of money, in today's money, would have been $412,509. $409. Would you do it? Those soldiers are going to be reburied. The Confederate soldiers will later be removed to southern cemeteries. Lincoln goes back to Washington, and he's still thinking about winning this war. What he does now, he's going to issue another proclamation. When I read these proclamations, when I read about Lincoln, I think we can get into his mind. Lincoln was a lawyer. I have met people that did not know he was a real lawyer. I thought he just got a law degree because he wouldn't go into politics. Podcasters, Lincoln was one of the best lawyers the state of Illinois ever saw. I know of three murder trials that he defended the defendants and he got them off. He argued two cases in front of the Supreme Court having to do with patent infringements. If you get on Jeopardy or some game and they want to know what president held a patent, it was Abraham Lincoln. He had a patent 
that would raise boats out of the water over the rocks. He tried thousands of cases. Now, many of them were just routine, open and shut. I'm going to just pass this along. The last trial that I read about was just before he was elected president. He was defending a young man in Illinois who was accused of murder. Now, I'm going to tell you something that just floored me. I don't know if this was just for the state of Illinois. I don't know if it was all the courtrooms in 1858, if that was the year, it was just before the election in 1860. But lawyers were not allowed to put their clients on the stand and ask them any questions. And so what Lincoln had to do was call witnesses and ask those witnesses the questions he would ask his defendant. And the way he did that was by learning how John Adams had defended the British soldiers in the Boston Massacre trial in 1770. Those that you could ask questions, you asked them the questions you would have asked your defendant. Like, did the deceased ever threaten the defendant? And he got the individual found not guilty. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because of what he's going to do now. In December of 1863, he issues the Proclamation of Amnesty and Reconstruction. The Proclamation of Amnesty and Reconstruction. Podcasters. What is he going to issue amnesty for and to who? If you don't remember, go back and listen to the podcast on Grant's name change. Remember Fort Donaldson. Remember the Confederate generals, Floyd and Pillow were worried about being tried and convicted for treason. Treason is a federal crime. A president can only pardon federal crimes, not state. Now, this is me. Now, Larry Wilson, he majored in government. He maybe knows more than I do. He can let me know. But this is the way I see it, okay? The difference between an amnesty and a pardon. Now, this is me. A pardon is when you've done something, been convicted. Then you get pardoned. It doesn't mean you were innocent. It means you've been pardoned. You've been convicted. And you don't have to finish your sentence. Amnesty? Listen, podcasters. We're not even going to try you. I'm going to say that again. Amnesty. We're not even going to try you. Now, in 1863, what portion of American citizens would be worried about the federal crime of treason? I bet they wear gray uniforms. I bet they're in one of those 11 states that passed ordinances of secession, the so-called Confederacy. And as I mentioned earlier, not this podcast, but an earlier one, 
when Lincoln wrote Confederate, he always used the small c. He often would say the so-called Confederates, the so-called Confederate government. Lincoln never hated anyone. I've said it before. I'm saying it again. He hated alcoholism, but not the alcoholic. He hated slavery, but not the slaveholder. He hated the Confederacy, but not the Confederate. He often visited Confederate wounded in the Washington, D.C. area. He had no hate in him. This proclamation of amnesty is letting those people who are engaged in a war of rebellion against the United States, and by 1863, December, it's almost 1864, the number of dead in the Civil War, they keep increasing the number as they get better at estimating. So let's do it simple. 100,000 dead a year. By 1864, it's 400,000 dead. And what's Lincoln going to do? He's going to let them off the hook. A proclamation of amnesty. Now, this is the way you do it. This is called the 10% plan. And when I was teaching the classes, I handed out a sheet of paper that I called my lecture guide. And I had things written down there. And when a student said, what's on the test? What do we have to know? I simply said, everything on that page. It was always one page. And on this, I had simply put, Lincoln's 10% make Wade and Davis mad. And students would ask me about it if they missed that class. Lincoln's 10%. That was the proclamation of amnesty and reconstruction. Where's the 10% come from? Now you can write this down if you want to. You go state by state. Each of the 11 states that passed ordinances of secession. And you can do this. They had the numbers. When I wrote my book, Flames and Ventures, The East Texas Fires and the Presidential Election of 1860, oh, podcasters, that should be a movie. I put down the exact number of how many Lone Star resident men voted in the 1860. It was a knowable thing. So you take each one of them, go one state at a time, now, I didn't bother to look it up, so we're going to just do this. We're going to oversimplify this. Let's just use the Lone Star State, and let's just say in 1860 presidential election that Texans cast 5,000 votes. 10% times 5,000 calculators, 500. That's your magic number, podcasters. So if those are the exact numbers, that's the magic number in Texas, that 500. 
whenever 500 Texans take an oath of allegiance to the United States government. They can then create a new state government. Law to the United States. Now, podcasters, I'm going to tell you, I taught for 43 years. And the last years I taught, I want to tell you, I was on the side of my students. I rewarded those kids for coming to class. And I told them, I told them that that 500 organizing a new state government, there are several things they have to do, but only wanted them to know one. And before I tell you what it is, I want to remind you, how many times have you heard that Lincoln really did not care about ending slavery? I said it before, and I'm going to say it again. Yes, he did. The one thing I required my students to remember about the new state government was in that new constitution they had to abolish slavery, that that state... That slave state was no longer a slave state. Podcasters, this is Lincoln's legal mind. The Emancipation Proclamation simply said, On 1 January 1863, all slaves and states in rebellion will be free. Well, if you organize a state government that's no longer in rebellion, you see? You see? You put it in that new constitution. Those slaves are no longer slaves. They are free. Now, critics said 10%. That's not democracy. And Lincoln's answer was, hey, that's just where it gets started. I hope it's 100%. And how this helped speed the end of the war is it is going to show the Southerners, you think the Confederacy is invincible? Why, you have your own states are now loyal to the enemy and you could do nothing about it. Now, I would ask my students, how many Confederate states do you think did what I just told you? They were always shocked. Three of them. Three Confederate states during the war had enough people that took the loyalty oath to the Union that they created new state governments. And those were Louisiana, Arkansas, and Tennessee. Now, podcasters, was there anything in Lincoln's proclamation of amnesty that would make a northern Republican angry? Yes. Yes. Remember, Lincoln's 10% made Wade and Davis mad? Oh, yes, it did. It made them very mad. Now, they did not know the word ballistic that I'm aware of, but that's where they went. They went ballistic. The radical Republicans went ballistic. They were so angry at Lincoln. Or would they be angry at him? I'm going to say it again. Let's just say 400,000 have died and the people responsible for it 
all you have to day is say is excuse me? Excuse me, I'm sorry, and that's it. There were people in the north that wanted to hang these traitors. Hang Jeff Davis to a sour apple tree. And that's it. All right, what are you going to do about it? Well, what Wade and Davis did, one was in the Senate and one was in the House, is they ran a bill through, the Wade Davis bill. Now, listen to the Wade Davis bill and see if you can pick up what is different about Lincoln's proclamation and what would make Lincoln angry with the Wade Davis bill. Most of the wording was exactly the same. Any state in the Confederacy, whenever, here we go, a majority, not 10%, a majority that had voted in the 1860 election, take an oath, swearing that they never, ever, for one single second, supported or aided the Confederacy in any way, shape, or form. If you even whistle Dixie, you cannot do this. That was called the Ironclad Oath. Podcasters, do you think that Wade or Davis had any desire for any Confederate state to do this? Lincoln gets three states with 10%. And here's something else. And the Wade Davis bill, if a majority took the ironclad oath, they could be reinstated. They could come back into the Union. And that right there would have sent Lincoln ballistic. Lincoln's whole belief in this war was that it was not a war. It was never a declared war because to declare war would have recognized the independence of the Confederacy as a legitimate government and secession legal. It was a rebellion. This was the war of the rebellion. So you put two things in that bill. A majority swearing that they never ever supported the Confederacy, even whistled Dixie or the Bonnie Blue Flag, and be reinstated come back into the Union? The podcasters, I am darn sure they did not know how to high-five. They did not bump knuckles. But had they known how to do that, they'd have done it. They want Lincoln to veto this. They want Lincoln to veto it. Those are the traps. Because when he vetoes that, they can use it against him in the presidential election by saying that he is too soft, he is too easy on the enemies that have killed 400,000 Americans. Lincoln's trap, isn't he, podcasters? You think Lincoln is trapped? Sometimes, just for the heck of it, read the Constitution. Don't wait on the movie. I don't know if there's ever going to be a movie. There is one about the Declaration of Independence, and it is a good one. It is a good, good, good movie. It's a musical. So if you ever want to see the Founding Fathers singing and dancing, then you get the movie 1776. It was an award-winning Broadway play for the bicentennial 
of America in the 1970s. I have no idea that anyone's ever going to do a movie on the Constitution. A musical, no songs, no... You know what? Let's remind ourselves, how does a bill become law? It passes the House of Representatives, it passes the Senate, and it goes to the President's desk. When the President gets that bill, he can do one of several things. A, he can sign it into law. You think Lincoln's going to sign the Wade Davis bill into law? No. High five. He can veto it. That's what they wanted to do. Veto it. We'll override that thing and we'll use it against you. What happens if he does not veto it, nor does he sign it? It becomes law over his signature in 10 days. Unless. With one exception. Unless Congress has adjourned. When Wade and Davis got that bill passed and it went to the president's desk, they high-fived and they danced out of the Washington, D.C. and adjourned. You know what Lincoln did with that? He picked it up, folded it nicely, and put it in his pocket. If he does not veto nor sign, and Congress is not in session, after 10 days, that bill disintegrates like Mission Impossible tape. Do you hear that? It just disappears. Wade and Davis should have read the Constitution. That's called the pocket veto. Now, Lincoln was not the first. James Madison was the first to do a pocket veto. I tried to find where the term pocket comes from. You might be able to Google that. You may know, but I don't. I couldn't find it. So I'm going to tell you this. I read it somewhere many years ago. One of my professors told me in class, I've always been told this. The term pocket for pocket vetoed came from Lincoln putting that bill in his coat pocket and walking around for 10 days and that bill was dead. Podcasters, I want to tell y'all right now, there are not many people like Abraham Lincoln. Don't try to trick that man. Don't do that. Now, the biggest test of Lincoln and the North will be coming up soon. Now, by this time, when I was teaching in the classroom, some students that knew a little bit more about the war than others, oh, i got to stop right now and tell you something. Remember when I said I'd go to my office and say, how could I forget that? There one little group that could not take the amnesty oath and the Lincoln's 10% plan. And that was high-ranking Confederate officers or officials. Now, high-ranking Confederate officers were 
rank of general, generals. And this is when I was in class, I would play this game. Oh, they loved it, podcasters. It was named the Confederate General's Game. Oh my, get that Dixie band going. You know, I never had a class that couldn't name one. Lee? Lee? That's one. Sometimes somebody would... Now these answers came in forms of questions. Jackson. Yeah, I'll give you that. Jackson Stonewall. I didn't say he had to be alive in 1864. Johnson? Yeah, there's two of them. There goes two. Podcasters, in 43 years of teaching, I don't know if I ever had any class got past those that I just told you. Most of them didn't even get those. There were about 300 Confederate generals. And high state officials... A high state official, I found out, would be the mayor of a large city or in the Confederate government, the state government, like in the House of Representatives. They were excluded from taking the oath in Lincoln's plan. And students would often ask, where's Grant? After Grant took General Pemberton's surrender at Vicksburg on July 4, 1863, Grant was then sent to Tennessee to relieve a general by the name of Rosecrans who was trapped at Chattanooga. And General Grant takes command of that army and he wins the battle against Braxton Bragg, the Battle of Chattanooga, the Battle Above the Clouds, and that's when Lincoln says, this is the man I want. Now, you know, if you've listened to these podcasts, that I have this Medal of Honor thing. And I'm going to give you one Medal of Honor recipient in the battle, Chattanooga. Arthur MacArthur, lieutenant of the 36th Wisconsin. He grabbed the colors when the color barrel was shot and advanced the colors in the battle and he would receive the Medal of Honor. His son would be the famous, infamous Douglas MacArthur. Grant comes to Washington. He has his friend Sherman take over in the West. Sherman's going to go against General Johnston toward Atlanta, and Grant's going against Robert E. Lee toward Richmond. And the stage is set now for the biggest battle that Abraham Lincoln is going to face in the Civil War. And whenever people talk, as I know they will, when did the South, when did the Confederacy come nearest to winning that war? That's the next podcast. I will tell you then. My daughter, she said she likes for me to do the shout-outs. She's my director. She's everything. And she also said to remind you to like Mr. Stroud's history class on Facebook. And I will see you next time. I appreciate you very much.